0: Acts chapter two, um, we, where we left off in Acts chapter two, that they, they they were the, the the wind came or the sound of wind came rather. There were the the cloven tongues were above their heads. They they were speaking in tongues in different nations. Remember in verse eleven it says the Cretes and Arabians we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So immediately as the spirit of God was poured out on them, or they were baptized in the Holy Spirit as was promised by Jesus Christ, they were testifying of Christ's gospel. So as we come now, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 36. And I thought about breaking it down and and analyzing the verses and everything. But to me, it makes sense as Peter gave this address or this explanation of what was going on. It simply makes sense to me to read it in its entirety and and see at a a view as they would have saw it or heard it, um, what was being said. Uh, so, so let's just read it, and, then we'll, 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 and it's broken down into, into four, major, four major categories. In verses 14 through 21, you see the explanation of the events of the day. In verses 22 through 24, you see the explanation of the evidential elements of the gospel. In verses 25 through 35, you see the explanation of the prophecies of David. And in verse 36, you see Peter explain it all. Okay, so he summarizes it. So let's read it. Uh, and as we go, in, in, we'll, we'll read each portion as we go along. That way you can, you can hear the thrust of what's going on. I don't want to read the whole thing twice. I want, I want to read it portion by portion. So first, verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, or all those that were staying in Jerusalem. So all those people, all those types of people that were previously mentioned, with all different kinds of tongues, or, or languages that is, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day." But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, or all manner of flesh. Not every single person without exception, but all types of people without distinction, meaning Jew and Gentile. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. Do you notice how he says my servants and my handmaidens? So he's specifically talking about his assembly there, those that he had authorized. It's not speaking to the Jewish nation at large. He's saying that 120 that was speaking in tongues. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and on the moon, and, and the moon in the blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All that was fulfilled. Peter saying, "What Joel said, what Joel said, has now come to pass." And he says that very frankly and very distinctly. If you turn, if you would please, to the book of Joel, brother Gary and brother Adam, if you would please turn, and it's Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, page number 907. Page 907, the book of Joel. It says there, "...and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions." And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. That word delivered means saved or rescued. So there uh, you see the, the uh, Peter is explaining exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost, okay? So you see first in verse 14 he stood up against the previous assumptions. They thought he was drunk. They thought they were drunk. You know, they they, they thought that these people were babbling. They thought they didn't know what was going on. But Peter immediately stood up and said, "This is what's going on," and he cited the word of God to do it. A lot of people have a good idea, or they think they have an idea of what's going on, but they have no biblical backing to say those things. Peter goes directly by the Spirit of God. He's able to quote a good portion of the book of Joel and was able to explain to these people what they had just seen. Okay? These people aren't drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay? It would be a strange thing if somebody was drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. There are people that have what they call benders, and they, they go on these things, and they stay drunk. But these people, uh, you know, they weren't the lay around kind of type of people. These people, being Galileans, a lot of them were known as hard working fishermen. Yes, they were rough and they were they were hard and they were people that were unlearned. But they were known as a working people and a diligent people, not a drunken or a sluggard people. So it's not fitting of their characteristics. But in the prophecy in verses 16 through 21. As we read in Acts chapter 2, we see that there was a pouring out of the Spirit of God. And not 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 another kind of spirit. You see, remember in in the Lord's ministry, there were other spirits that had been walking around or in in the area there of Jerusalem and Judea, specifically demonic spirits. He cast out demonic spirits on an often time. But this spirit was identifiable in it that it testified of the wonderful works of God. So when we read in 1 John that we're to try the spirits or test the spirits, what do they testify of? How man is to perform wonderful works unto salvation or the wonderful works of God unto salvation. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the spirit that was poured out on these people in the church there in in those days was the spirit of God. John chapter 15, the spirit that, that Jesus Christ sent from the Father and that would testify of him, the wonderful works of God. The pouring out of the Spirit on all flesh again, it's not on every single person because there were people there that didn't have the Spirit poured out on them and they were judging those that did. They were trying to analyze what was going on those that did. But those that did have the Spirit were who? That 120, Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, the 120, were all with one accord in one place. You see, so it, when the Spirit came out upon them, then, then, then those of Jew and Gentile then were saved because of that. They shall prophesy, Acts chapter 2 and verse 11. That's exactly what happened. What did they prophesy? Were they saying who was going to win the World Series? Or were they trying to you know play Nostradamus and that kind of thing? No. Acts chapter 2, verse 11. They spoke in all these tongues and all these languages the wonderful works of God. That's right. The evident signs—the blood, the fire, the vapor of smoke—that's a, that's a direct reference there to, uh, to the Levitical priesthood. If you would please look in Exodus chapter thirty, Exodus chapter thirty, and uh, speaking—and and this is leading into the, the day of atonement—how how, that Aaron and his and those priests that were to follow him, how they would behave themselves and what would go on. But look at Acts chapter, th- excuse me, Exodus chapter thirty. Verses 1-10. through And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, uh, of sheet and wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and four squares shall it be. Two cubits shall be the height thereof, the horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof, round about the horns thereof, and thou shalt make uh, make unto it a crown of gold round about two golden rings shalt thou make it under the crown of it. And this is the dimensions. And you shall make the staves in verse 5. And thou shalt put it before the veil or in front of the veil that is by the ark of the testimony in verse 6. Before the mercy seat that is over the testimony or on top of it where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps. They shall burn incense upon him. So, if you were to be inside the, uh, the, the, the inner room there of, of the tabernacle, complete darkness. The Spirit of God evident or or illustrated by that that candlestick, right, and once that candlestick is lit up, then there's understanding of what that room looked like on the inside, specifically seeing the veil and understanding the ark beyond the veil. But God said, I will meet you there at the ark of the testimony, the Spirit of God giving illumination and understanding to the room, and that incense uh, being a sweet savor going uh, unto the Lord. And Aaron lighteth the lamb, said even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout throughout your generations. Um, excuse me, throughout your generations. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt, off, burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour a drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in a year shall he make atonement upon the upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So what that, that is that is shown by illumination of the Spirit. There is an incense that comes from the people of God that is separate from the atoning work pictured by, by the slaying of the animal picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. So then when the, the Spirit of God came and fire was above their heads and there was that wind... It was, it was a, 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 a manifestation of that, that fire and that smoke that was up before them. And that was fulfilled, as Peter said, uh, from, what, from what Joel said back in chapter 2. That was a fulfillment of those things. When he says, also, does that make any sense? It, 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 it's completely what happened there. They saw it. They saw those things. Also, when he says that, uh, that, 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 that the, the sun the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon in the blood before that great notable day of the Lord, well, in Matt uh, excuse me, in Mark chapter fifteen, when the when uh, the Lord there being crucified, judged by God the Father, it was turned into darkness. The day was turned into darkness, and, and not just vague darkness, but darkness, darkness truly indeed, and that was witnessed throughout as well. And all these signs, all these wonders, the, uh, the, the people prophesying and, and, and the smoke and the fire and, and, and the sun and the moon and all these things there before the notable day of the Lord. Well, what was that? His gospel. And the result of all these things. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. All these evident signs as prophesied by what Joel said The events of that day were a fulfillment of all those things. It was to be summed up, and the conclusion was to be, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How simple, right? might not understand everything else, but the conclusion of the matter is this. What's going on here today, Peter says? is an evident token that God is real, that man is sinners, they need salvation. Jesus Christ the Lord is is the only method of salvation. Call upon Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the purpose of sign and of religion don't point directly to the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation through His finished work, run. Yeah, that's right. This should be the centerpiece of every church service and every religious discussion, that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those stand in need of salvation, he is the only way of salvation. That's it, his gospel. So he says, okay, this is what happened. Now he's going to explain the elements, the evident elements of the gospel, verses 22 through 24. So that's what Joel said. That's what you've seen us doing. This is what just happened. Verses 23 through 24. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Oh, gracious. Did you see all that stuff that he just did? He's pointing the the, the reader here, but also those people in the room there, uh, as he's saying these things. He's saying Jesus Christ had a, a ministry of three and a half years where day and night he was verified by the wonderful works of God that he is indeed the Son of God. We studied that through in in the book of John, specifically chapter 8. You men of Israel? Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and signs, or wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. As ye yourselves also know, it's undeniable. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel... And foreknowledge of God you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Sure. The explanation of the elements of the gospel. Jesus Christ, a man. Right? Isn't that wonderful? Read Hebrews chapter 2 again. The necessity of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, being made like unto his brethren, flesh and blood. Amen. God in the flesh. A man approved or demonstrated by God, as ye yourselves also know. In John chapter 3, some very interesting language is used by Nicodemus at this time. And you know, you know what it says. Look in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then there was a man of the Pharisees, the religious Jews, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man do do these no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. They knew exactly who he was, and Peter knows that they know exactly who he was. Undeniable that this man was God in the flesh. Does someone believing that God was Uh, just in the flesh? Does that mean that they're a saved person? There's a lot of people that say that they believe God was in the flesh, and they knew by Nicodemus' admission that he was a man sent from God, yet unsaved. But the necessity of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh is here evident in the Scripture, that the men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, or attested of by God, demonstrated by God with all these signs and miracles and wonders. You see that he was God in the flesh, and that was evident as well. He also says that, that this is, uh, th- these events were, were providential. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was always the plan and design of God that, that man would, would, would fall and Jesus Christ would be the Savior of his people. You know, there's a, there's a couple of high-dollar words, infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism. The discussion is, is, did God make things and then man fall and then come up with a plan? Or did God have an eternal plan and it just fu- was fulfilled? Amen. I believe God had an eternal plan. It's man's fault that he fell. It's not God's fault that he fell. It's man's fault that man fell. And it fulfilled the purpose of God. So, God had this plan By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth to save His people from their sins. But look at what He also says. Look at what He also says. You have the providence of God, you have the responsibility of man, in verse 23. Ye have taken, and by wicked hands ye have crucified and slain. It wasn't the wickedness of God that crucified and slew Jesus Christ. Whose wickedness was it? The wicked hands ye have taken and crucified and slain. Man is responsible. Man is responsible for his own sin. Man is responsible for the sin of nailing Jesus Christ to that, that, that cruel and wicked tree. Man is responsible. So you have the providence of God and the, 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 the responsibility of man. And both of those things satisfy the will of God, meaning it was the purpose of God to save his people from their sins. Is it the will of God? Is it the the desire of God that men would sin? No, he gave great commandment not to. Along the way, he has given commandment not to to rebel against God. It does satisfy, however, the will of God. You see, you have the the declared will of God, and you have have the, the, um, the providential will of God. It was always the providential God, will of God that that as a sinner, Jesus Christ would die for me. Now, he's not a sinner. I'm the sinner. But me being the sinner, he being the Son of God, he would die for me. It was always the providential will of God. But that had to happen because I violated by choice and by nature the declared will of God. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for that. So he says, hey, look, yes, God in his providence sent his Son to die for sinners... But you are sinners and you did these things in wickedness and in cruelty. Death, depravity of man, the resurrection whom God hath raised up, raised up from what raised up from the grave, burial right. raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. It was no secret thing that that body, of the Lord Jesus Christ was no longer in that tomb. They could not conceal the fact that that body was gone. In fact, remember, the Lord was with them for 40 days, testifying of his resurrection before his ascension. It was no private thing that the Lord had died openly. Many saw it. he was buried and he rose again openly. Many saw that he was alive. Many saw that he was alive. In this you have the glorious resurrection. You see that? The glorious resurrection. God raised him up. It wasn't a man that raised him up. It wasn't some grave digger. It wasn't somebody looking for fortune and glory by knickknacks or whatever. It was God that raised him up. So he declares unto these people the explanation of the elements of the gospel. It is God that died. It is God that was buried. It is God that rose again. All man did to contribute to the gospel was sin in his wickedness and cruelty. Now as we go through this, you, you might be thinking to yourself, is this the same Peter that wouldn't so much as tell a maiden in the dark in the corner that he was a follower of Christ? You see the power of God there. Through chastisement, you know this, this is a Peter that would not after after the Lord locked eyes on him in that gospel scene, the, the uh, this is a Peter that would never deny the Lord again in such a way. So thank God for such those corrections. Amen. You see here the explanation of the prophecies of David, and in David, what David prophesied of, of that one that would come out of his lineage to die and to rise again. David spoke of the resurrection. That's in verses twenty five through 35, 25 through 35. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw, I foresaw the, uh, let's see. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because Thou will not leave my soul in hell or in the realm of the dead. Neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. His body will not decay. That's right. Thou hast made known unto me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that is both dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. What's that mean? He's not talking about himself because he's buried right over there. He's not talking about himself. Yeah. But another, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, of his lineage, of his children, according to the flesh, God in the flesh, he would raise up Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the fulfillment of all those things in the Old Testament that would bring salvation unto his people, to sit on his throne, king. He, seeing his He's seen this before. Spake of the resurrection of Christ. That's what he spoke of, not getting out of the danger of his enemies, but the resurrection of Christ, that his soul, Christ's soul, was not left in hell. You know, people think that oh, God can't die. There's people that don't believe that God, that Jesus Christ, being God, didn't die. It says right there that the soul of Jesus Christ was in the realm of the dead. That's what that says. It doesn't matter if you understand it or not. It's hard to comprehend. But that's what it says. Neither his flesh did see corruption, so soul and body were dead. This Jesus hath God raised up. Wherefore, we are all witnesses, plain and simple. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. So he's not just risen to this earth, but he's risen to the right hand of God. I... Peter saying, we saw him ascend and having received of the Father the promise of this Holy Ghost, they received the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost. He had shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Because, because Jesus Christ died and buried and rose again, he promised the Spirit of God to come. That's what you just saw. So if you don't believe Jesus Christ died, buried and rose again, believe for this work and this is why we do this. We testify the wonderful works of God, not of ourselves, but the wonderful works of God. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. The explanation of these prophecies. In verses 25 through 28, you see a a clear explanation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's quoting, if you would please, he's quoting in Psalm, in the 16th Psalm, if you turn there, verses 8 through 11. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. As I turn there, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one, notice that's in all caps, to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Again, at the right hand. Well, how in the world could David even express a hope or expectation to be at the right hand of God except the Holy One not see corruption? It's a total dependence. You see there in the psalm, it's a total dependence on the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. You see the Davidic covenant. In verses 29 through 30, he says that the the loins are of the offspring of David, that, that that the true king would come. In second Samuel, if you would please, Second Samuel and Chapter seven, he's, he's citing what the Lord told him there. In Second Samuel chapter seven, verses twelve through thirteen. It says, And when the day thy days be fulfilled, David, when you're good and dead, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The son of David, Jesus Christ himself, the risen God from the dead, in the flesh. He's explaining these prophecies that David had had written. Well, that one came by the prophet Nathan. In Christ's resurrection, being the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the Spirit is now poured out. And that's what he says in verses 31 and 32. Because of these things, because because the the Holy One would not see corruption, and because that the the kingdom of God would have a king that was true and just out of the loins of David. Because Jesus Christ in the flesh, by the foreknowledge and counsel of God, was slain in your wicked hands, and now he's risen again. And he promised his spirit poured out. That's what you've seen. And we do testify this day, he says. And David surely was not talking about himself, as it says in verses 34 and 35. David didn't do it. David didn't ascend. He's talking about another. The Lord said unto my Lord, that sit thou on thy right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Speaking of Jesus Christ himself. Now, this would mean a lot more to us if we were... Jews and had spent a lifetime in Judaism. And again, we probably could have taken that message and broken it down and spent months on it. But what is the what is the thrust of all these things? The explanation of the day: Why did you see what you just saw? Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, the wonderful works of God. Amen. What did all that stuff mean? Just, just, just. Fifty days ago, over there at Mount Calvary, and a few days later, when that tomb was empty, and the, the following forty days, when when Christ walked, risen from the dead, what was that all about? God in the flesh died for sinners. Men are held accountable. God raised him from the dead. All these prophecies, David didn't talk about himself. What's the, what's the explanation? David's prophecies all pointed to Christ. All these things point to the very idea to the sinner. To see themselves as sinners. To call upon the name of the Lord according to the gospel of Jesus Christ unto salvation. You see in verse 36, the summary, it says it all. Therefore, verses 14 through 35. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. Know because of the, the signs and the wonders that Christ did in his ministry. No, because of the signs and the wonders, even around his death, the sun going dark, the graves opening, the veil being rent. No, by the explanation of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, assuredly, no, because of what Joel said and what Moses said and what David said and what all these things point to. No, assuredly. Know it with safety and security. Know it without alarm or hesitation. Know it without delay. Know assuredly. That God made that same Jesus. Or He He had fitted him to that task, we'll say. God being eternal. He he unto us a, a child was born, unto us a son is given. That's what it says in the book of Isaiah. He is the eternal Son of God. But at that time, for that purpose, he came in the flesh. To perform a task, and that task was to save his people from their sins. Know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. Salvation is of the Lord, whom ye have crucified. God made that same Jesus. A man approved of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Dead, buried, and risen again. 23, 24 with all these evident tokens of the gifts of the Spirit, verse 33. Leaving behind, that is. God had made that same Jesus whom you have crucified. They crucified Him in their personal wickedness. Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Pilate says, will I crucify your King? He's not your King! We have no King but Caesar! Crucify Him! In their own personal wickedness. And we can't be so naive to think that we wouldn't have cried the same thing. We do the same thing. Even as believers, we do that every day. I'll, have, I'll not have that man rule over him. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to sin anyways. Right. Yep. The personal wickedness of man crucified him. It was the personal, and man will be personally held responsible, each and every one, for their wickedness. Yep. Each one of these was personally guilty before God. Look, you have crucified and slain, he says. God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified. And how did they do it? How did they crucify him? Yes, by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. But ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. It wasn't the wickedness of God, again, that crucified and slew the Lord Jesus, it was the mercies and grace of God yeah. on his end. Yeah. It was the, the terrible sinfulness and wickedness of man that required that, that brought it, that made a need for it. You have crucified, you have slain. You you can you you can also hear in that, and we'll get to it a little bit deeper in just a moment, the the love that Peter had. That's a loving thing to say. Oh, what do you mean it's loving? You're supposed to pat people on the head, and make them feel comfortable. What's Peter's problem? You know, people who preach like Peter nowadays are considered hateful people, aren't they? That's a very loving thing to tell someone they're a sinner. That's right. It's a very hateful thing to tell them they're okay. Yep. That's a monstrous thing to do. To see. Personally wicked, personally responsible, personally guilty before God. Yeah. You have a. This same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ, Lord, supreme authority in all things. Oh, he was make a lamb as before his shearers, huh? He laid down his life; no man took it from him. He had power to lay it down, power to take it back up. That's what Christ Himself said. Supreme authority. There's an episode of the Andy Griffith Show that the kids like to watch, and and oh, was it the governor of the state that Barney Five comes along and gives him a, gives him a ticket because he parked in the wrong spot? Well, he didn't know he was the governor. He just gave him a ticket. Well, everybody's giving Barney a hard time. Uh, didn't you didn't you know what you did? That's the governor. I mean, it's a silly show. These people put their hands on the Son of God, and we're going to get to it in in our our next study, their panic, and rightfully so, and that's the true panic that all sinners have. I have offended the Most High. When their personal wickedness, responsibility, and guilt before God, they, they put their hands on the Lord. They put their hands on the supreme authority of all things. Yes, He submitted to it, and it was the providence of God, but they were guilty of it. They put their hands on Christ. He is both Lord and Christ. The Messiah, the Anointed One, the fulfillment. Jehovah is its salvation. Jesus Christ, the Lord. The humility of Christ, you can read that in Philippians chapter 2. The humility of Christ that he submitted himself to death, even the death of the cross. That's a separate subject. Peter's addressing their wickedness in his Messiahship. You see... You can't have the good news without the bad news. If he just patted him on the head and said, oh, I appreciate your attempts at religion, well, you know, may the Lord bless you. He could not do that. No, he is Lord. He is Christ. Your religion is false. You're wicked. What you did was wicked. When Jesus Christ told him, hey, look, they're going to put their hands on you just like they did it on me, and they're going to think they're doing God's service, John chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Lord and Christ, the owner and possessor of all things, the true one ruler and supreme authority of all, the Messiah, God in the flesh, the express image of God, Hebrews chapter 1, the express image of God, you have crucified and slain. You see, in every point, it comes back to Jesus Christ and, and the explanation of the day, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He pointed them to Jesus Christ. When he, when, he, when he explained what happened at Calvary, this is the Son of God, and he died and God raised him up, being God, he rose again. When he explained all the prophecies of David, he pointed them to Christ, didn't he? In all things, every every part of this message pointed back to Jesus Christ and how sinful they were. Sinners in their desperation of sin call upon the name of the Lord unto salvation. Look at what he tells them again. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Desperation. Yeah. Verses 23 and 24. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Resurrection. Yeah. Verses 34 and 35. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but, he's, but he... Saith himself, the Lord saith unto my Lord, sit down until I make thy uh, on my hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool enemies. Do you see the desperate of calls there? You're guilty. He is Christ. And the Lord is salvation. You're wicked we're wicked. Oh, what have you done? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, the one you crucified and slain, the one that you sinned against, both Lord and Christ. That's crushing information to the sinner, isn't it? Why were they there in Jerusalem? They were there to observe the Feast of Pentecost. Oh, so religious. I wonder if in the natural man, how many of these people it says that there were thousands saved. I wonder in the natural state how many were offended. Could be that God saved everyone that was there. He saved all those that it would please him to save. I know that. Three thousand, anyway. That's right. Oh, and every one of them, he did so desire to. That's right. Children of God, may our speech and behavior be becoming of the gospel. I be, this speech and behavior is becoming of the gospel, isn't it? Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-seven. But you see, in simplicity, the broadcast of the gospel, Acts chapter one, and verse eight. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Witnesses of his what? His gospel. His death, burial and resurrection. Chapter 2, verse 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. In this entire message, whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved. From guilt, from wickedness, from depravity, from the responsibility crushed under the law. Yeah. From self, you mentioned it, from self. Saved from self to God in his gospel. You see here, I mentioned this as an advocation or an explanation of love. Look at what Peter said. Look look at this. He's pleading, God doesn't plead with anybody, but he is pleading with these people. Look, look at these different points uh, of, of language here. Again, verse 14. Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, you men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, by this you know But but, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. The word please is not written there. But he's telling them because he wants them to hear by the power of God. Verse 22. Ye men of Israel. Ye men of Israel, brethren. Verse 29, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you. Verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. Assuredly. Again, that word assuredly means safely or securely. It means without alarm or hesitation. It means hear this now. Now. Save save yourselves from this untoward generation. He's going to tell them that later on. Can they save themselves? Is it the work of man that saves? No, it's not. But the preaching of the gospel is such a preaching of dying men unto dying men. Those that have been saved and delivered by the rescuative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, declaring the wonderful works of God of redemption unto fellow sinners that's what peter did that's all this explanation is and sinner i would like you to hear at the last year that if you that if you were there at in jerusalem some two thousand years ago you would have been in that crowd and you would have been crying crucify him crucify him and i know that because in your life today you declare i'll not have that man reign over me Every person of all time would have done the same thing, all having Adam's rotten nature in us. I would have done the same thing. I would have been the one with the whip, or I would have been the one pulling hair, or I would have been the one laughing and wagging my head. I would have even been the one hung right next to him, casting things in his teeth. That's, that's who I am, and that's who you are. Thank God that it shall come to pass and it did in the gospel of Jesus Christ that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sing it over and over again. Christ receiveth a sinful man. Does this panic you? And we're going to get to it at another time. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I asked a man that one time, what do I do? He told me three words. Looked at Jesus. It's the greatest message i ever heard. <laughs> the Lord said, there is no other name whereby you must be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, not in the name of Jehovah or Buddha or Joey or anybody else, the name of the Lord. What's the name of the Lord? Jesus Christ. That is his name. Repent. Peter said to them, repent. Baptism comes after repentance. We'll, ta- we'll tackle that in another time. Repent. Repent of your guiltiness and wickedness and, and all, these, all, all the faultiness under the law. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. That's the word of God. And so I encourage you by the power of God to do so. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.